Well, good morning, everyone. Get out your Bibles. All right, I'll wait, Susie. All right, Susie. As soon as Susie's done, then we'll get to the Bible study. <laughs> if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Rod and Charlie have Bibles in their hand, and they'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. And as you do, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 25 through 30. Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. But we're going to read from verse 19 on through verse 30. In a minute. Susie's ready and I'm not ready. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the Gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost into death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Time by study this morning is Compassionate Companions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning and to be able to be in this place where we can open up your word. This Bible that we hold on our, in our laps, Lord, it has everything we need for life and for godliness, Lord. And as we dig into your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears open to receive all that you have for us, that we would, you would anoint this time together, Lord. We praise you for this time, this freedom that we have. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us this service or will join us next service, that has not fully committed their heart and soul, their mind, their strength to following you, Lord, that they would do so today. Today is a day for salvation, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for this time, and we give you all the glory and the praise ahead of time for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want, I want to read to you some supposed actual classified ads that have appeared in various papers around the world. First one, wanted, three-year-old teacher needed for preschool, experience preferred. Just the way they word them, this one. Wanted, preparer of food, must be dependable, like the food business, and be willing to get hands dirty. Man wanted to work in dynamite factory, must be willing to travel. This one. Girl wanted to assist magician in cutting off head illusion. Blue cross and salary. Wanted. Man to take care of cow that does not smoke or drink. 
have to think about that one for a minute. Wanted, hair cutter, excellent growth potential. This last one, you've heard it before. Wanted, wife, must be a hardworking, experienced farm, farm woman, household and field work a must, know how to cook, must own tractor, send photo of tractor. You know, whatever you want to find, you know, to, to, to purchase, whatever you're looking for, you can look on Craigslist, you can go on eBay, whatever you're buying, whatever you're selling, it's there. What's not there is the ad that says, wanted those that will walk in truth. I mean, that was the Apostle John's Craigslist ad, if you will, in, in 3 John verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Because it's there that you discover the joy of walking with Jesus, of staying planted and moving forward, progressing in His grace according to His work. You know, that should really be our prayer. That we would have far more faithful followers, more determined disciples, and more serious saints, people that will read the Word and then do the Word. Now you may be saying, well, how does this fit into our study this morning? Well, the Bible happens to be one big want ad. We're told in Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him. Well, here in Philippians 2, we have two men that answered God's want ad, that, that answered God's call. First guy, young man named Timothy. Uh, we looked at him last week. And another man named Epaphroditus. The first guy, again, uh, or I already said that. Paul there, he's in a prison in Rome and he's speaking about these two men. Timothy, the first guy, uh, his name means honoring God. Or one definition I found, it means valuable. Timothy has merit. He has worth. He's the kind of guy that when he walks into a room, his, his qualities are honored. He has a proven character. I like that about Timothy. See, that's the Apostle Paul's point he's making here. He says, man, don't you know, there's nobody like Timothy. I really do value him. Because he knows what he's been called to do, and he's doing it. He's valuable. Then we have Epaphroditus. Not to be confused with Epaphras, who was a part of the church in Colossae. Epaphroditus, we believe he was a, a pastor, an elder, a, a, a bishop of the church in Philippi. Now, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be studying this letter right now, because he's responsible for delivering it to the church there in Philippi. Now, his name means lovely. But I also heard that it's translated agreeable. So we have Timothy, who's valuable. We have Epaphroditus, who's agreeable, kind of guy, even conformable. Now, that doesn't mean that Epaphroditus was a, a yes man. You know, it doesn't mean whatever Paul said, he wanted him to do something. Oh, yes, right away, Paul, whatever you want. Sure, right away, Paul. That's not what it means. The idea is that, that he's one who, who, who's somebody that understands your side. So you've got two guys around you serving in ministry that are valuable and lovely. I mean, to have someone that, to, to understand you and, and on your side. Because I've noticed, what I've noticed is there are a great many people who seem to always be, to want to take the opposite side of whatever the issue is. Maybe you've come across that. People, you know, they're just always disagreeable. They, they, they're not on your side. They just want to argue for the sake of arguing. You say, oh, what a great day today. Yeah, what's so great about it? Well, it's so sunny, and it's just beautiful out. Man, the trees are just gorgeous. Uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Come on, lighten up, buddy. See, Epaphroditus, he was just the opposite. He was the type of guy that could see both sides. Now, think about this. Paul there is in Rome. He's in prison, 
And he's no doubt he's wondering, because, you know, I'm I'm writing this letter to the church in Philippi. I wish I had a couple of guys that would be willing to take this letter from Rome and bring it to the church in Philippi. Now, what makes this more interesting is that when Paul closed out his letter to the Romans, he closed it in the 16th chapter saying goodbye to at least 16 people by name. So there's a group of friends there, 16 at least, that he knew while he was at house arrest in Rome that hung out with him from time to time. But when it comes to somebody leaving and somebody going and sending them out, someone he could count on that, that, that would say, as Isaiah said, here are my Lord, send me. Paul only had two guys, Epaphroditus and Timothy. And we're going to see two things about these two men if you're taking notes. Number one, they're compassionate companions. And number two, they're faithful followers. Number one, they're compassionate companions. First, Paul said of Timothy in verse 22, you know his proven character. Paul is really calling Timothy just that, that compassionate companion. Uh, how compassionate? Well, verse 20 says he will sincerely care for your state. So that's what Christianity is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be, as illustrated by the story of the Good Samaritan, the kind of character that when some, you see someone down, you're willing to go and lay down your life to help them up. Now, I, you know, I'm not too sure we're seeing so much of that nowadays. Often we see someone stranded on the side of the road and we just kind of drive right on past because, man, we're used to being taken advantage of. We're used to being ripped off and, and we think, man, if I start, stop to help them, uh, you know, what's going to happen? But then I think of Luke's gospel there in, in, in chapter 10 and the story of the Good Samaritan. And how the priest and the Levi just passed by the man that was beaten and broken and really needed help. But the point of the Good Samaritan is that he's so interested in helping others that he's not even thinking about his own needs or wants. And so Paul looks at all his friends in Rome, all 16 of them, either by name or by faith, and he says, you know, I'm looking for someone to go to Philippi to see if there's someone who is, who is not preoccupied with their own lives, they're willing to pick up their bags and leave. And, and Timothy says, hey, here I am, send me. No, Timothy, I need you. Is there anybody else? Uh, Epaphroditus says, here I am, send me. Both these men, compassionate companions of Paul, willing to serve any way they could. Now, again, we really see in Timothy this great character quality when Paul says in verse 20, for I have no one like-minded as he who will sincerely care for your state. So Timothy and Paul, we know they were like-minded. And we looked at this a little bit last week. I just want to recap it for a moment. Uh, To be like-minded is to be on the same page together. The Greek definition means to be equal in soul, meaning someone who's similar in disposition, similar in point of view, similar in sensitivity. See, I like that. Both Paul and Timothy have the same disposition or moods or points of view. The things that bug me, you know, bugs him and, and vice versa. It's kind of like, you know, when your wife has conned you into watching one of those chick flick guys, you know, and you know the love story type ones. And, and you know, it, you're in a movie and you're watching this scene. It, it, it gets mushy. Maybe the couple finally meets in the end, you know, or, or grandpa dies or the little boy is rescued, whatever it is. Now, since your wife has conned you into watching one of these and, and it gets to one of those points, she, she looks over at you and, and, and the tears are coming down her eyes. I mean, they're just shimming. And, and you say, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then she says, are you crying? No, no, it's allergies. <laughs> no, it's not like that. You know, it's not like you go, oh, this is dumb. No, why? Because, man, over the years, you've become like-minded together. And, and that's what I found, that there are plenty of things that, that, that with my wife and I that we both like and dislike, and we're able to walk together and say the things that bug me and the things that bug her, the things that touches her, the same thing that touches my heart. 
In fact, Amos 3, 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Paul says, The amazing thing about Timothy is the things that burden me burden Timothy. What burden Paul? You don't need to turn there. Just take note. Romans 9, 3. Again, this is a recap of last week. Paul writes, For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Romans 9, 3. Oh, I wish that the Jews could be saved. But he's saying so much more than that. Paul is saying, do you really know what I wish? I wish that God could even take away my own salvation if it would mean saving all of my Jewish friends. Oh, Paul, do you really mean that? Could we have that same heart? To say, I'm willing to die to myself for the sake of somebody else. It's the heart Timothy had as well. In fact, so much so, we looked at this last Wednesday, Acts chapter 16. Paul was about to bring Timothy on his second missionary journey. Timothy agreed to be circumcised before he went. Acts 16.3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. I shared this Wednesday night. I wouldn't have blamed Timothy one bit if he said, you want to take me on a journey, but I have to be circumcised first? I don't think so. I'm not going. You know, sorry, see it. But, but Timothy was this man of God, had the same desire, like-minded as Paul, though a son of the Greek father, also the, the son of a Jewish mother, in order to be effective in ministering to the Jews. Timothy said, no, by being circumcised, I can go into the synagogues, I can teach, I can minister, that's my passport in, I'm going to go for it. He was circumcised not for salvation, but for fellowship, for opportunities to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I I wish that God would take away my salvation if it would mean saving all of my Jewish friends. Timothy says, if this is the one thing I could do that will save some of my Jewish friends, I'm going to go for it. Compassionate companions, like-mindedness. There's another example of this found in Scripture that helps us to see this big picture. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you see Joshua, then go past Joshua. If you see Judges, go past Judges. If you see Ruth, go past Ruth. And you'll find 1 Samuel. Right before 2 Samuel. Chapter 14. Remember, David and Jonathan were best friends. They were like brothers together. They had a bond. So much so when when Jonathan's father Saul sought to kill David, Jonathan warned him to flee. So, So no doubt their friendship started very young. You know, Jonathan saw David through the power of God defeat Goliath, the giant. When I look at verse 1 of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14, because that kind of sets the stage. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He didn't tell his dad. Okay, well, where was his dad? Well, look at verse 2. Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in, uh, in Migrod. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of a hot tub, I mean, a high tub. Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. Now, the, the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Now, verse 4, Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Boses, and the name of the other was Sine. The, the front of the one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Two points I want to bring out here. Number one, the high priest has got this linen ephod on, 
verse 3. And number 2, the conditions of the terrain when this is going on. Why is he telling us this? This Because he's revealing to us the background to show us what's happening in Jonathan's heart and how this is such an amazing leap of faith. See, Israel at the time had about a 600-man army. On the other side, we've got the Philistine army. You know, Goliath's friends, which means they're huge men. Scholars say that they numbered somewhere around 6,000 men at the time. So, uh, but here, what we have, Jonathan's got something on his heart. He figures out that in order to attack them, to hit them where it hurts, they need to cross over where these are these sharp, rock, sharp rocks on either side and make his way through this ravine and face some really serious climbing to do this. But regardless, in an act of faith, he is willing, he's wanting to do this, even if it meant doing it by himself. Now, the reference to the ephod, I think, is kind of funny because the purpose in the ephod was the Israelites for determining the will of God. And what an Israelite didn't have at this point is an answer what they should do. See, if you were a high priest, you would simply stick your hand down in this linen ephod, this pocket, and on the inside were these two stones uh, that were typically called the Urim and the Thummim. And they'd grab one of the stones, not knowing which one, which one they pulled it out. That would then base on what, what they would do accordingly. Now, we don't know which, 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 which meant what, but, 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 but they knew. And what they looked like, we don't exactly know, but, but one thing meant one and the other thing meant another. And so the writer here is almost comically saying, listen, you know they have this way of determining the Lord's will, but they're sitting around and they do nothing about it. And they really don't have a clue about what's going on. But Jonathan, on the other hand, he's going, man, there's something, there's something happening in his heart. And he's thinking and he's contemplating something. What was it? Now, I'm just speculating here. And this is the sake of an illustration. I think Jonathan was thinking about David and how, how David being an Israelite and Goliath being a Philistine. Maybe he's thinking, no, I remember this battle between David and Goliath so well. It wasn't that God needed somebody really strong, but God needed somebody that was willing yeah, Goliath was huge, but it didn't matter to David because, because God was on David's side. So then, let me think, Jonathan maybe said, you know, we have 600 men that can go against 6,000, but, but that shouldn't matter because God is, is with us, who can be against us. If God wants to, he can whip this whole Philistine army with just two guys, me and my armor bearer. I mean, he doesn't even need 600 uh, men to wipe them out. All he needs is a couple of guys who are willing to go for it. Hmm. I think I'm going to tell my armor bearer and see what he thinks. In fact, maybe, just maybe, my armor bearer is just as crazy as I am and to be willing to go up this huge ravine, these sharp rocks, all the way up to this Philistine garrison. And quite possibly, the two of us could glorify the Lord by wiping out the enemy and the rest of the world will know that God is on our side. Let's go for it. Have you ever had that happen in your heart? Maybe you're laying in bed at night, husband, and you think about where you're at financially. What's going on? And you think, okay, if I do this, I do this, and, and we could do this, and you stop. Uh, I need to share this with my wife. But then you go, oh, never mind. I mean, she's not going to understand. Uh, well, where are you going to get the money in the first place? This is one of your dumb ideas, dumb ventures. It's going to get us more messed up. Or maybe, wife, you're lying there in bed, you know, and you say, you know, I could set aside some money, and, and I've got this great idea for a vacation. I know the family needs it. Lord, if you could, if you would, I should share this with my husband. But you go, oh, no, I, I don't know. He'll just say, forget it. Are you crazy? We don't have the money. I think I'll be misunderstood. In reality, are either of you being compassionate companions? Here's my point. Everyone in life, whether it's ministry or marriage or, or business or pleasure, we all want someone that we can just 
kind of open up our heart and, and to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about this today. What do you think? And we want them to support us. We want them to, to see our side. We want them to get behind it. We want to show them this vision and say, yeah, we're going to go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. That's the heart we hope for. And with Jonathan here, it's kind of like running through his mind what he's thinking about, and he decides to share it with his armor bearer. And what does his armor bearer say? Well, look at verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. What does the armor bearer say? Verse 7. Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Don't you just love that answer? Highlight it. It's great. Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Because we see they were compassionate companions. I'm with you, buddy, all the way to the end. And with that, let me tell you what the Bible says. If one can chase a thousand, then two can put ten thousand to flight. Or Leviticus 26, 8. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. All of your enemies will fall beneath your sword. That's the whole idea. Now, how does that work for us? Well, you see, there are those who believe that God could do a work with a smaller army over a tough ravine. If we have a group of six people going downtown on a Friday night, united in prayer, and we go for it. Stopping people on the street and asking them, hey, let me, let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus Christ is the answer to life? And those six people that are compassionate companions are now leading three lost people to Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the enemy is being overcome. The lives of the people that were on their way to hell with a death sentence have been delivered. They've been set free. God, through an army of six, defeated the whole army of the devil and his demons who had a stronghold on these people's lives. Another way, through compassionate companions, we go to a place we've called the gathering tree. And we share the love of Christ with people who, who are chained to addictions and no place to call home and they're set free and their lives are changed. Through compassionate companions, we say, listen, I'm going to join together with these other teachers. I'm going to go and take a Sunday a month and just volunteer to help downstairs with the children in the children's ministry, teaching and ministering to these kids at a young age and sharing the love of Christ with them and watching them at a young age commit their lives to, to, to Jesus Christ and watching them grow in their relationship with Him. Through compassionate companions, I'm going to join together with fellow believers and go to James River Care Facility and minister the love of Christ to the elderly folks. Through compassion, compassionate companions, I'm going to join together with the prayer warriors of this church and I'm going to sign up to be a part of the prayer team and battle for the prayer needs of the people around us. Here's my point, folks. You don't have to go it alone. You have compassionate companions, fellow believers, that can come alongside of you and help you in the ministry that God is calling you to do. Paul says, Timothy is an amazing guy. He's a great guy. He's kind. He has a condition, you see, that he believes the best in people. He's considerate. He's trusting. He's like a son to me. A proven character. If I say, let's go for it, he goes for it. Now you may be saying, wait a minute. What happened to Jonathan and the Philistines? How does the rest of that work out from did he defeat them? Homework. Read it next time. Read it at home, chapter 14. I see you looking down. I see you wanting to read the rest of the story. Go back to Philippians chapter 2 right now. Paul now switches his focus to another brother, Epaphroditus. And we come to point number two, faithful followers. Look at verse 25. Philippians 2. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, 
fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now, who is this man, Epaphroditus? Well, as I said already, he's believed to have been the pastor or the bishop of the church in Philippi. He, Paul begins by calling him his brother, his fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. My brother-in-law, um, my wife's brother Larry, he died in California. Whenever I call him on the phone, uh, I say, hey, Larry. He goes, my brother, how you doing? And it's like, I'm okay, Larry, I'm doing good. Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother. Now, that's not just a, a general term here. It's more than that. I don't know, maybe you visited a church, you know, and they call everybody brother or sister. Oh, oh this is brother so-and-so. Meet sister so-and-so. And, and oh, brother Tom, sister Lisa. Now, if it's sincere, you know, it, it's one thing. You know, but for the most part, I think it's just a nice way of saying hi, and this is who it is. And, you know, or, or, you know, when you don't remember their name. Hey, bro, how you doing? You don't remember the name. Paul's not using that word brother in that sense. It's more than that. He's like family, Paul says. See, there's something about family that I want you to consider. Number one, family has and enjoys what we call raw acceptance of each, uh, of each other. And number two, family also will defend one another to no end. That's family. So I can go over to my daughter's house, walk right in, and say, what do you got in the fridge? And I can open it up and, and I can dig around in the refrigerator. You can do that as family, right? Now, can I do that at your house? And you say, well, yeah, sure, my house is your house. But if I did, if I said, knocked on the door, walked right past you, got right to your fridge and started digging through your refrigerator, you know, you're like, okay, I like Pastor Tom and all, but, but that's kind of rude. I mean, you never say anything, but, but you know, that's, it's, a, it's family. Now, here's the other thing about family. If I come into the family, if I go, you know, hey, hey what's in the fridge, and I walk into a family member, they can say to me, stay out of the fridge. You know, that's for later. Get out of my fridge. See how that works. You as a family member can deny access to your other family member because you're allowed to because, and you won't offend them because you're family. Paul says, that's what my relationship is like with Epaphroditus. It's more than just bros. We're like family. Because in a brother-to-brother relationship, we're supposed to enjoy that type of freedom even so much more in the body of Christ. To go out of your comfort zone, so to speak, and get to know one another to the point where you become so comfortable that you can not necessarily go over to their house and start, you know, ravaging through their refrigerator, but you can walk up to them and say, hey, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for you for? Start digging around in their life, seeing where their needs are at. And you can trust them to tell you what's going on. Or like family, you can go the other way and say, you know what? I just need to tell you, stay away from that relationship. Stay away from that situation. It's going to bring you down. It's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your life. And they're going to listen to what you have to say. Why? Because you're family. And again, one more thing about family, you will defend them to the very end. You know, I can pick on my brother and my brother can pick on me, but if you pick on my brother, watch out. You know, we know that. Whatever my brother does, whatever my sister does, whatever happens in family, I'm going to defend them because we're family. That plays out this way. You know, I know, know the Bible says love believes the best, so I'm not, I'm not going to let you talk bad about someone in my family. I'm not going to listen to gossip about them or hear slanderous re- remarks about them. Rather, I'm going to defend them. Let's take that one step further. Jesus calls us family. He calls us friends. Matthew chapter 12, you don't need to turn there. It's the story of Jesus sharing with the multitudes when suddenly Jesus' own mother shows up along with his stepbrothers seeking to speak with Jesus. 
Jesus has been saying some things that the people weren't understanding, and, and Jesus has been speaking symbolically about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so on the outside, mom and his brothers show up and say, hey, can we talk to you for a moment? But Jesus' response, it's up on the screen, Matthew twelve forty-eight. But he answered and said to one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I love this, because we've already established the fact of what it's like to have a brother-to-brother, brother-and-sister relationship. It's acceptance. It's come on in. What do you need? Now let's take it a step further. This means that Jesus enjoys acceptance with me, acceptance with you. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. As we seek to do God's will in our lives, we enjoy all the benefits that come along with being a part of the family of God. Our brother Jesus taking care of us, whatever we need. Man, it's there. Defending us. Proverbs 18.24, man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. Always around. Whatever we need in our lives, he's always there. And he gives us the power. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We'll see in chapter 4, verse 13. See, as a church, we're more than a congregation. We're, we're a church family. And we're to care for one another like a family, just as God cares for us. Now notice that not only are we family, but we're also fellow soldiers. In verse 25, look at verse 25. He says, uh, my, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier as well. Remember last week we looked at, at uh, what it was like for Paul to be imprisoned and how he was chained to Roman soldiers. Well, according to Paul... Those weren't fellow soldiers at all. But Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. That is, we are on a battlefield of Christianity. Following Jesus is not a bed of roses. It's a battle. Man, and it's great to have friends with you in that battle. I mean, I think about Paul, opposed everywhere he went, stoned, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, and now he's in jail. But at least he's got a couple of guys that said, hey, Paul, as long as it takes, I'm here with you. We're in this foxhole together. Remember, Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, uh, there's an obvious point I want to make here, and that is an effective Christian is going to be the target of the devil. Plain and simple. If you're an effective Christian, if you're really making strides uh, for, for the kingdom of God, you're going to be a target of Satan. Why? Because you're in a battle. Paul wrote this in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Do you know what you need when there are a great many adversaries? People to stand with you compassionate companions that are, that are fellow workers, fellow soldiers, working and fighting alongside of you. Let me tell you, Paul would know all about Roman soldiers because back then when the Romans would march in the battle, they would lock their shields together and march as one that, that was impenetrable. On top of that, as they would march in the battle, they would sing battle songs as well. You get the picture. We lock our shields of faith together. We're praying, we're singing, we're worshiping the Lord. And man, we're, we're, we're strong. We're powerful in the Lord. See, we're all in this together. Now, I know there's Christians that love to sing battle songs. They just don't want to fight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but, but that's the biggest part of being a fellow soldier. We need to fight. Lives are on the line. Fight for people in prayer. Fight the good fight. Standing up for righteousness. Living righteously. Loving unconditionally. 
That was Epaphroditus, a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. And Paul has one more thing, the one who ministered to my need. See, we need to understand, Epaphroditus came to Philippi bringing a gift and encouragement to Paul. Now, Epaphroditus, he was absolutely loved by his church in Philippi, and they were homesick for him, and he was homesick for them. But here's the problem. Epaphroditus, when he arrived with Paul, he got sick, real sick. Look at verse 26. He says, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That word for sick there in verse 26 is the same word used to describe Lazarus in John chapter 11 when Martha said, the friend that you love is sick. Same word. It's sick unto death. Epaphroditus almost lost his life. He was sick unto death, but he recovered. Now, we don't know why he got sick. The text doesn't say. We, we could suppose that when he got to Rome to visit Paul, maybe he drank the water, you know, drinking water from a different place, different bacteria that he was used to. Maybe got what they get, you know, what they call it down in Mexico, Montezuma's Revenge. I, I don't know. Call it Caesar's Revenge. He got it. He was sick. But then here's the twist. While he was in Rome sick, he heard that his church in Philippi found out that he was sick. And upon hearing that, that they heard that he was sick, that really upset him. He didn't want them to know that he was sick near death because he knew that they would worry about him. So much so that verse 26 says he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Well, of course they were concerned. They loved him and didn't want anything to happen to him. That's what family does. Man, when, when, when someone is sick, you want to help them. You want to bring them you know, some chicken noodle soup, you know, some vitamin C. You want to visit them. You want to encourage them. You see, they were doing what Paul was encouraging them to do back in verse 4. Remember, Paul said to them, let each of you look not only on your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Paul is saying, look at this guy. Man, he was really sick. You know, sickness has a way of being self-consuming. You know, you're self-consuming because you're sick. You know, you're in pain and, and you can't think of anything else while you're in pain. Not Epaphroditus. He understood that this church was shaken, not only because their hero Paul was in jail, but their messenger was sick. And all he could think about was ministering to, to, to his companions back home, getting there to relieve them of their concern and to let them know that he was fine, that God has spared his life. So then, that's why Paul closes out this chapter. Look at verse 29 and 30. He says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem, because of, for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. That word, therefore, represents an action that those in Philippi must take. See, Paul is saying, Epaphroditus, he was sick. He's doing much better now. When he shows back up, you're going to see him. Receive him in the Lord with all gladness. Hold him in esteem. Respect him for all he's done for you and for me. In other words, take care of him. You know, I think it's easy for us to forget those that are busy serving the Lord in ministry and the sacrifices that they make week after week, you know, to be here, man, without getting paid, part of the ministry here. I mean, on their own time, they're serving the Lord in the children's ministry or in the usher ministry or in the prayer ministry or the worship ministry or in the convalescent ministry. I tell you this, I know we wouldn't have a church if it weren't for the compassionate companions that we have that are faithful friends in the ministry here at the church. 
And I would say every now and again, uh, thank you goes a long way. Thank you for serving. Thank you for, for getting up in the morning and making the coffee before service. Thank you for, for making sure the church is ready. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for caring for me and loving my child that much that you're downstairs week after week helping them grow in the Lord. Someone once said, a pat on the back, though just a few vertebrae removed from a kick in the pants, is miles ahead in results. Paul says two things here. He says, when I send Epaphroditus to you, give him a glad reception and give him a bold appreciation. Really just honor him for all he's done. Let me read verse 29 and 30 in the New Living Translation, and we'll close. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. When I think about these men of God, I think it should shake us up on the inside. All of this took place during the first century, uh, the time that the Roman Empire was, was just strong. I mean, the law of Rome was supreme everywhere. The empire of Caesar Augustus moved out and took over the world. There was no mercy shown to anyone. There was law and order everywhere. You know, there was not a power in that day that could come against Rome. But in the midst of it all was this little man named Paul, the apostle, preaching. There's a God who loved them, gave himself for them. And if they would repent of their sin, turn from their sin, they can not only be forgiven, but they can have the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. So I see Paul. I see this young man named Timothy, raised in a godly home by a godly mother and grandmother, a proven character, a compassionate companion to the apostle Paul. And there he is, standing strong in that pagan city. You now people say, oh, it's so hard to live for Christ in our culture today. Listen, Timothy's culture was, was far much worse than, than what we have today, and he did pretty well. Finally, there's Epaphroditus, faithful pastor way up yonder in the city of Philippi, a Roman colony, but it was pagan, a heathen city. But he was a faithful follower, a fellow soldier, serving and ministering blessings wherever he went. Then I look at me, you know, Tom Humphrey, and I say, Say to him, stop making excuses in this day in which we're living. Quit being a wimp. If these men could, could make such an impact to this world around him in that first century, then you and I should be able to make an even greater impact in the 21st century right where we're at today. Not by imitation, but by yielding our lives to Jesus Christ. To say, as Chris Tomlin sings, will you go, I'll go. Will you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. That's my prayer for us. How desperately this is needed in our day. Paul said to the Philippians, you know, out of all the people, there are two brothers that I'm really blessed with. Timothy, he's so valuable. Epaphroditus is so agreeable. With these two guys, I can do so much. How about you? Someone once said, if you don't have something that is worth dying for, then you probably don't have a life that's worth living for. If you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus Christ, let me tell you, he's worth dying for because he died for you, gave his life for you as a ransom that you might live. If you're not accepted, I encourage you to come up as soon as service is over so I can pray with you and help you, you know, know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But to those of us that, that, that love the Lord, uh, help us, Lord, pray, Lord, help us to be compassionate companions with each other, faithful followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the example that we see in these men, Lord. And Lord, we want to be 
that same example, Lord. Not only imitators of them, Lord, but imitators of you, Lord Jesus. So change our hearts, Lord. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to live this first century Christian life, Lord, in the 21st century. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be caring. Lord, soldiers in this battle together, Lord. Caring for one another. Meeting each other's needs as we seek to glorify you with our entire lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has to change our lives. So help us, Lord, to apply these things to our lives. That as we go our way this week, Lord, we are more conformed into your image and your likeness, living for you in a way that pleases and honors and glorifies you. We thank you for this time this morning, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. For it's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and we'll do one final song together.